0: Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com.
1: And when I finish reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. When you were living in them, in perfect
0: harmony. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good morning. Everybody seems very close. I think our chairs have gotten uh, moved up. So, uh, John, sorry, you may be in the splash zone here a little bit. You know. um, but man, be, being here together this morning, uh, it, it's so good just to, to be with you and to, to worship together. I stopped there for a minute while we were singing just to listen everybody singing uh, these amazing truths that are in, in these songs um, and to be reminded of those truths and, and to also hear that out of everyone else's voices here. Um, that, it's so good as, as a family. We are a family who, you know, like Ethan was saying, even when we're going through you know, tough times where we're, it's hard for us to remind ourselves uh, that our joy is in, is in Christ. Uh, be able to come here weekly, and then go to our, uh, our small groups uh, and our men's and women's groups and lift each other up and encourage each other with these things, it's it's like, like nothing else. Um, it, it is it is like a family. We are family. Um, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, even if we've come from, from different families, yes, from, from different parts of the country or world, um, or different ways of growing up, from different generations for some of you, Um we are, If we are true followers of Christ, then we, we have a common identity in Him. And we see that that work itself out in how we live and relate to each other in a community uh, of believers like this. As, as Christians, we are not called to isolate ourselves and work out our faith alone. It's not that we are called to spread the gospel and then just tell that person, well, Godspeed, my friend. Uh, I hope you can figure it out on the way. Uh, as disciples of Christ, we are a family. We are in this together, in this setting, in this local body of believers, but also in the universal body of believers, the church. And we see this in how the Apostle Paul writes his letters. Remember that Paul is writing this letter to the people in the church at Colossae, where he has never been. He had not met most of these people, aside from their their leader, their church planter, basically Epaphras. Uh, But these people were still Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ. So he wanted to encourage and point toward Christ. So so look at how Paul addressed them uh, at the beginning of the letter. Um, If you turn back to chapter 1, verse 2, it says, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And the Greek word there for brothers can actually be used uh, for brothers and sisters. Uh, she has a, a deeper love and concern for these people and their faith than you would normally see between p- two people or between people who have never met each other. Uh, there's just something wholly different in this relationship that we share now uh, than you see really in any other community. Uh, he goes on in verse 5 to give the reason that this relationship is so different, uh, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. No matter how different it it may seem like we are, uh, the different backgrounds we come from, we have a common identity in Christ, and our hope is laid up for us in heaven. So as we go further uh, into this passage today, we'll we'll continue to see how, how we are to be wholly different from the things of this earth by changing our hearts and actions to conform to the heart and actions of Christ.
1: And this is not out of legalism,
0: or as Paul says, asceticism. Oh, this is out of love for Christ and what he has already accomplished for us on the cross. It is because our home address is no longer anywhere in this world. It is, it is in heaven. Our identity is no longer our own or what we decide that it is. It's in Christ. But please pray with me uh, and then we'll dig a little bit further in. God, we thank you so much for for this church, uh, this family, this body of believers that we have here. uh, where We can come and encourage each other and continue to point each other toward you for this process of, of sanctification. Of becoming more like you
1: it is not easy,
0: but it takes daily work. And thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to help us in that. And we thank you for sending brothers and sisters uh, like we have here to, to encourage each other, to correct each other sometimes, um, and point each other toward you in hard times. Uh, Lord, I pray that we take a big step in our sanctification today as we study this passage, uh, help us to, to see how we are to put off our old things um, and put on our new identity in Christ. How we thank you for this truth. We love you. Thank you. In your name we
1: pray. Amen.
0: So I really desperately tried to think of of a, n- another way to start this sermon than using the phrase we live in a society. Um that's just so boring um, and overused. Um, and you know, even saying that phrase, I feel like some of you have already started checking out. So come back, come back to. Uh, but but isn't it like true? I mean, because like no matter where we live, it's inevitable that we are in some sort of society, and societies have certain norms and values and beliefs already in place. And I guess you could say there's there's sub-societies uh, within the greater society that that each have their own values. Uh, and that's where you might see conflict, where those, those different groups uh, have, have differences. You might see some friction between the groups. Uh, but something that's basic, that basically all societies have in common is, is that they run on a right-wrong-reward-punishment sort of system. You do something that a particular society deems good or right, and in one way or another, you are rewarded for that. Or you do something that is not valued or is considered wrong or weird, and there's some kind of punishment that goes along with that. And that doesn't necessarily mean on the legal level where you commit a crime and then you are punished with fine or jail time. That is, that is obviously a thing, but it, it can be much smaller than that. Uh, it even occurs just on the, on the social level. If, if one of you went over to, to that water cooler, um, stuck your head up underneath it, and drank straight from the spout, the rest of us are going to kind of give you some weird looks and give you a hard time for that. So don't, don't do that. That's not, that's not how you're supposed to do that. So when we come to a passage like this one, uh, it's easy to take it at face value and think that Paul is referring to something similar, this right, wrong, reward, punishment system. It literally says, uh, starting in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So, Taken out of context, reading that alone, it sounds like Paul is saying that if you do these things, then God is going to punish you. Or, as the Johnny Cash song says, Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Uh, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like legalism. But that can't be right, because just in chapter 2, that we were uh, studying a couple of weeks ago, Paul was denouncing legalism, asking the the Colossians, if you died with Christ, then why are you acting like you are still in the world, submitting to regulations or human precepts and teachings? And that's exactly what, what humans tend to do. Like it or not, in our societies, we create roles, norms, regulations, and precepts that we must follow or else. If you look at any other major religion, you will find a system like this, of do's and don'ts. A system of merit, or steps toward enlightenment. There's different words for it, depending on the, on the religion, but basically that, that same idea. And I actually had a conversation this past week uh, with someone at work who is, who's Catholic, uh, he and his family had recently visited his in-laws uh, out of state, um, and his sister-in-law uh, is Buddhist, and she was kind of, in a way, like proselytizing her beliefs um, to him, saying that Buddhism and Catholicism are basically the same, that they both have certain certain things that you're supposed to do to gain favor. Uh, thankfully, he, he very much actually disagreed uh, with her um, and did disagree did agree with me, as we talked about it a little bit more, that the Bible teaches us that, that we are not, in fact, trying to gain favor or merit with God by following certain rules. But that we already will be sharing in the glory of Christ. As uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, verses 13 and 14 says, God chose you as the first fruit to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is not our glory or enlightenment that we obtain, but it is the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do not obtain it by following any sort of list of, of rules, including the Ten Commandments. But it says, God chose you through sanctification by, by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So this makes the message of Christ totally different from any other religion or belief system. So what does it say about these things then? Uh, let's continue on, uh, starting in verse 7. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the key points here, once we walked in these things, past tense, we have now put off the old self, and we are putting on the new self. And this kind of gives me some, some imagery here in my mind. It might remind you of of taking off dirty clothes uh, at the end of your day, putting on new clean clothes. And this is helpful. Uh, often clothes are, are as symbolic as they are practical. Clothes, while they function as something to cover us and protect us uh, from the elements, uh, they, they also function... To show someone's rank or status or role. When I worked in a hospital in Tennessee, uh, we were required to wear a, a specific scrub color to represent different roles um, in, in our facility there. Uh, just so that it would be easy to identify. If you didn't, I mean, it was a big facility, so if you went to different areas of the, of the hospital where you didn't know people, you could easily tell without like, getting down and looking at their badge what, what role they were. Uh, for example, I wore blue scrubs. Uh, the respiratory therapy uh, they wore black. Physical therapy team wore green, and so on. Um, if one day I had gotten tired of wearing blue, I'm, I'm sick of this royal blue, and decided to, to wear a different scrub color. I'm going to be unique today. Um, it would have caused confusion. It wouldn't have made any sense um, if I had gone then to gone back to school, gotten a different uh, education and license. Um, and then went, then went back to, to work in a, on a different team, that would have made more sense if I had changed the, the scrub color then. And you can you, you can turn that around um, and and say if I went back to school, um, got, a, got a new education, new, new license, joined the, a different team, but kept my old blue scrubs, people would continue to think that I was a nurse and not respiratory therapy or whatever else I chose to do. Um, and that's That's how going back to our old ways looks. If we're going back, putting back our, putting back on our earthly ways, that doesn't, doesn't fit with our, our new life. In the early church, a new believer at the time of their baptism would remove their outer layer of clothes before then being baptized. And afterwards they would put on a new set of clothes, symbolizing their, their new life in Christ. It was part of the symbol of baptism. They were symbolically removing their old self, symbolically being buried in baptism, raised to new life in Christ, and then would symbolically put on the new life in Christ. Earlier um, in chapter 3, at uh, the beginning there, verse 1, it says, If you have been raised with Christ. So our, our old selves were dead in sin. And we are now raised to new life with Christ. Romans 6, it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. If we go back to our, our old sinful ways that we once walked in before Christ redeemed us, it's like putting on ragged, musty old grave clothes, just because we like the way it makes us feel. But these these earthly things, the things that, that we are prone to wonder back to in our sinful nature, will never ultimately satisfy us. That's why Pastor Michael uh, preached last week that we are, we are called to set our minds on things above. One of the, the verses in the hymn, uh, Come Now, Fount, says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. How true is that, that we are so prone to wonder? Even Paul in Romans 7 says, for I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This is because we as believers are no longer slaves of sin. But we are still living in the flesh. Our flesh and sinful nature that we inherited from Adam will be present with us until we are finally with Christ. Every day our old self tells us, hey, you should put on these raggedy old clothes. Remember the good times that we used to have in these. And that's because... We are living in this period of already, but not yet. We are already redeemed and are being sanctified by Christ, but are not fully redeemed or sanctified yet. So we are to put off these things from our old selves and put on our new selves and set our minds on things above because we are so prone to wonder. But what then is Paul referring to in verse 6? This is the kind of where it gets like, complicated. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. But again, if we're, if we're not careful to read this in its proper context, it sounds, it kind of gives the like carrot being dangled out in front of us feel. As if it's don't do these things or punishment will come down on you. But for those of us who are already redeemed by Christ, Paul doesn't mention this as a threat from God to scare us into changing our ways. Uh, One commentator points out, uh, he says, it is simply saying that, that these sins point to what is wrong with the world and why God must do something about it. So this should be good news to our ears that God will do something about it. We worship a just God who thankfully will not let evil and sin in this world go ultimately undealt with. And some have asked the question, how could a good or loving God send anyone to hell? Fair question. A lot of people say that that's not fair. And I think asking that question might be partially correct. God isn't fair. Fair would be sending us all to hell. Because we all completely deserve it. So thank God He isn't fair. Praise God, for He is just. All sin will be atoned for. And He unfairly sent His Son, Jesus. He sent His Son, Jesus, who didn't deserve it. That is unfair. Praise God that He's unfair. To pay that debt for us, for those who believe. So what then about this list of earthly things that we should put to death? We don't have time to break down each one individually uh, or to get into why Paul chose these specific things. Uh, But we can look at, at the list as a whole, kind of distill them down. What's the common denominator of these things? Again, they are sexual immorality, impurity, passion, or in other translations, lust, for the word passion there. Uh, evil desire, and covetousness. The common denominator to these things is selfishness. Isn't that really the, the common denominator to all sin, really? Placing our own wants and desires above others. Another commentator said that this vice list includes attitudes and activities relating mainly to a perversion in some way of a good an appropriate aspect of human existence. Every good thing that God has created, we have found a way to pervert. Paul takes it even further at the end of verse 5 and says these things are idolatry. Not just putting our desires before others, but putting our desires before God. If we don't put these things away, if we continue putting back on our old selves, we'll start to see some effects flowing back out of us. Look at the end of verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And we begin to see a pattern here. If we're putting back on our old selves, then these things will be working their way out of us. And we'll see this putting on and outworking again a little bit later, so remember that. Paul then begins giving the Colossians' instruction not only on how to conduct themselves on an individual level, but how to live this out as a community of believers like this. Let's read again, starting in verse
1: 11.
0: Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As I said earlier, we are not called to isolate ourselves and work out our faith alone. We are a family in Christ who are meant to encourage each other, at times correct each other in love, and to be continually moving toward Christ in our sanctification together. Look at uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, and, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This doesn't mean that we have to, to lose our, in, our individual uniqueness as people can, people, and, and conform to some sort of right, group think that, that gets broadly painted into a political subgroup voting block. Um, but we do conform our identity to Christ. It says in verse 10 of Colossians 3 uh, that we have put on the new self and are renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. And that's no matter our background. Look at the list of people groups uh, that he lists in verse 11. He lists opposing groups of people, back to back, to show that their, their, their distinctions, their differences, they don't, they're of no importance anymore. But that Christ is all and in all. So now that we've put off our old selves and conformed to Christ, what is it that we're supposed to then put on? Verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Again, he is keeping to a sort of pattern here. Remember, there there were five put-offs listed before, and now we are given five put-ons. And this act of putting on doesn't mean that it will be automatic. It doesn't mean that we'll do it once and then we're all set, we're good to go. Now this is going to be an intentional and repeated decision that we must make. As we are still living in the flesh, we are we are naturally going to find ourselves putting on what we should be putting off, and putting off what we should be putting on. So this takes deliberate action, continually. Continually checking ourselves in comparison to Scripture, compared to each other sometimes, and most importantly, compared to Christ Himself. And when I say compared to each other, I don't mean, at least I'm doing better than Him. Like No, look up when you're comparing. Find someone that has been a believer longer, has further along in their sanctification, compare yourself to them, But ultimately, compare yourself to Christ. Because we are all failure. When we do this, we see some natural outworking then in our lives. Just as the earthly things caused an outworking of selfishness, putting on now our new identity in Christ will cause certain things then to work themselves out of us. Uh, So let's read now our final portion of the passage today, verses 13 and 14. Bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If we constantly work at putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, then it will be more natural for us to put away our selfishness and to then bear with one another, forgive one another, and love one another. We are, in fact, still humans in a fallen world. So some of us need a lot of bearing with, a lot of forgiveness and love. Starting a new church like this is a, is a really good example of that. It's, it, even this can be a messy process when you involve sinful, imperfect people like all of us. Not one of us has arrived in our sanctification or our walk with Christ. now praise God that He chose us while we were still sinners to save us and chooses us still to do His work. And bearing with means to, to patiently endure. God is so patient with us. He bears with us in this process of sanctification. So we must also bear with each other as sons and daughters of God. And sometimes while we are patiently enduring each other and our faults, we're gonna get hurt. That's inevitable. That's just how our relationships work. The Bible often in Paul's letters like this, uh we are instructed on how to deal with each other. Never in Scripture does it say that when you become a follower of Christ, you'll find a perfect group of other believers who are never hypocritical they always handle situations perfectly and they stay out of your business. But often that is what we expect from each other. There's no wonder that that's what unbelievers expect from us. I'm sure you've heard heard it before that the reason a lot of people don't have a church community is because it's just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, of course it's a bunch of hypocrites. That, that's why we need a community of fellow believers to help us point each other toward Christ. Imagine yourself sitting in the waiting room of your doctor's office. Every single person that you see come out of there is sick. Like, man, what a quack this guy must be. He's not fixing anybody. Well, of course you don't think that. That's, you know that that's why they're there. So in our bearing with each other, At one time or another, you will have the opportunity to forgive each other. (laughs) That's just how how relationships work, as I've said. And verse 13 says, Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Of course we must forgive each other. The whole reason that we can stand here and worship our Savior in the first place is because He forgave us. Now imagine yourself coming to church and standing here and singing about grace and forgiveness. But on the inside, I deserve forgiveness. There's no way that I can forgive Jared for what he did to me. And you know that may be a little kind of a ridiculous example. We don't necessarily think through it in that way to that extent. Um, but have you ever told somebody that you forgive them? But in the back of your mind, you're keeping a record of their wrongs. So then, next time they wrong you, you "Well, like, oh, here, here we go again. It's just like them to do this. But do you think that's the kind of forgiveness that God has given us? Hebrews says that Christ lives to make intercession for us. He's continually forgiving us. Never will He be fed up with forgiving you. This is our standard for forgiving others. The only way that this can be possible is for us, is through love, which is our last put on. And not only our final one, but says that this is the most important thing for us to put on. This is the piece that holds all the other things that we've put on, on. And by love, I don't mean the various vague ideals that are constantly parroted to us by the world today, that they're just other things disguised in the word love. We should be known and characterized by the love of Christ. Unconditional and sacrificial. Not a love of of simple acceptance or tolerance. Accepting and tolerating or ignoring the sin of our brothers and sisters is not love. Love can also be tough. It often is tough. It's tough when we have to correct. More tough when we have to be corrected. But that is a greater love than watching a fellow believer continue to stray from Christ. This kind of love is nearly completely unheard of in the world. We as a church should be defined by this love. What was one of the results of of Jesus' love during his time on earth? Moral failures like me and you? They flocked around him because they knew they needed love and forgiveness. The religious people killed him. They didn't think that they needed it. They were busy earning it. So finally, as I begin to to wrap up, um, what should we take away from this? Yes, we are called to put off the ways that we lived in when we were dead in sin. We are to put on attributes of Christlikeness. But we aren't doing these things to earn our way. To God's favor. Now that has already been freely given to you. We don't strive to live a certain way to attain anything. Our goal is to live how God originally intended. Striving for holiness. Or to be more like Christ. And thankfully God sent the Holy Spirit to help us with this. Because we have no hope of accomplishing this on our own. And in this way, we offer up our lives then to him. Because we have really nothing else to give him that is of any value. It's not that we do this to gain that. More accurately, he did that, so in our response, we do this. I'll close with the lyrics from a song called Offering, which I've always thought really expressed this idea really well. Magnificent Holy Father, Father, I stand in awe of all I see. Of all the things you have created, still you choose to think of me. And who am I that you should suffer? Your very life to set me free. The only thing that I can give is the life you gave to me. This is my offering, dear Lord. This is my offering to you, God. I will give you my life, for it's all I have to give, because you gave your life for me. Pray with me. God, I pray that you help us. as you do. In our process of sanctification, it is not a one-time thing. Lord, help us daily to put off our old ways. Those things that continually find their way back on us again. Help us to put those things off in a way, daily. And to put on love, the love of Christ. I pray that you help us to give our lives as an offering to you. Not to Attain something. Because that has already been done. You gave your life. Lord, help us to give our lives as offering to you. We thank you so much for this truth. In your name we pray. Amen.